Let's turn now, people of God, to his holy word, and we want to read this morning from the book of Revelation, chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, we'll start to read in that chapter at verse 14 and read through verse 22. And our focus, the message or the sermon will be on the entire passage that is contained here, that we'll be reading here, the letter of our Lord Jesus Christ to the church in Laodicea. So let's listen here carefully to the word of God here and specifically the words of Christ as he delivered them to the Apostle John to record here and that is not part of the Holy Scriptures. Revelation 3 verse 14, and to the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works, you are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. You as an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That's by the reading of God's word. We may also then lead and guide us by that spirit in the message that is contained here for his people still today. Let's pray before we then turn to God's word. Lord God, you have just told us that we must... uh, Listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. And we need you, O Holy Spirit, to help us to open our ears, but also our hearts, that your word may find entrance there and that we may be able to learn from it not only, but also to respond to it in true faith and true commitment to you. We pray that you'll bless us, Lord, as we consider these words of our Savior. And bless him who also then expounds them for us, that he too may be guided by your Spirit to bring forth the truth of that word faithfully. So, Lord God, we pray for your blessing upon us then, in Jesus' name, amen. And dear people of God, when the Apostle John was exiled to the small island of Patmos, which was found in the Aegean Sea, he was exiled there for his faith and the testimony that he had given to Jesus And Jesus instructed him there to write down what he saw and heard in visions that the Spirit gave him there, that Christ gave him there, recorded now for us in the book of Revelation. And thereupon John was to send these messages, that visions and revelations of Christ to the seven churches 
that are mentioned in chapter 1, specifically in Revelation, that we read there in verse 11, Christ told John, what you write down what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Laodicea. Those were all churches that were located in what was then called Asia Minor and what is today the country of Turkey. They were the original recipients of what is now contained in the book of Revelation. And so this morning, we want to listen to what our Lord Jesus Christ has to say to, in a letter addressed specifically to one of those seven churches. Because the book of Revelation, as you probably know, begins actually in chapters 2 and 3 after the opening vision that John had received of Christ standing there on the throne and Christ who was walking among the lampstands, which are the churches. Christ had then given John the assignment to send letters to these seven particular churches I just noted, each having their own place of residence, each according to their particular needs, their specific problems and challenges, their strengths and their weaknesses. But what our Savior addressed then to each of those churches was also obviously meant for the church of all times and of all places. That's why they're in the Word of God. If they only would apply to those churches, well, then we could say, well, that doesn't apply to us. But the number seven, as you may know in the book of Revelation, is in basically a symbolical number representing completeness or perfection or fullness. And so what that means is that these letters, too, were addressed to all the churches of all times and places. And so we'd like to consider now what Christ had to say in that last letter of the seven the one recorded here in Revelation 3 that we just read, to the church of Laodicea. And I'll still, by way of introduction for you this morning, I want to say a few things, first of all, about the city of Laodicea, as well as the church there, as a background to the letter. Laodicea was situated at the junction of three major highways that traversed Asia Minor. So it was kind of a critical place, a central place in Asia Minor. As a result of it, it also had considerable wealth. It was a banking center. It was a financial center. Trade and commerce flourished there. It was a prosperous city. It was famous particularly for its clothing industry. One of the most prized cloths or clothing that it produced were garments made out of black wool. Black wool that came from black sheep that were raised in the fields outside the city. Yes, uh, you know, black sheep are much less common uh, than white tan-colored sheep, I'm sure. Maybe that's the reason why, you know, we have that expression that we sometimes use, black sheep, referring to someone in a family or that is known to us who has wandered away from the faith or is living a sinful lifestyle but the, the wool of the literal black sheep was highly valued and, to my knowledge, is still highly valued today. So that was also one thing notable, noted to be noted about Laodicea. And furthermore, it also had a highly reputed medical center. It was kind of a Mayo Clinic, you might say, getting people to come there from all over the region. And what that medical center was especially known for was its treatment of eye ailments. 
Physicians there apparently had developed a kind of salve, a kind of ointment to treat people that had eye problems. And I cite these few, these few facts because they shed interesting light. As you will note, as I will bring out later on when we get into the message of Christ to this church. And then as regards that church found in Laodicea, you might note that, there is, that this is not the only place where it is mentioned in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul also refers to the church of Laodicea in his letter to the Colossians. Whether Paul founded that church there is not known. It could well have been started by Christians from other parts who had come there and moved there. But Paul certainly was aware of them and had a special concern for them as he did for the Colossian church. And so he, in his letter to the Colossian church, Paul also included there something to pass on to the church of Laodicea. He wanted them also to read the letter that he had written to the Colossians. But the letter that Jesus Christ wrote to the church of Laodicea in Revelation 3 expressed an even deeper and greater concern for that church. Yes, this letter is probably the severest of the seven letters that we find in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation because unlike the other six that Christ wrote to, this letter contains no words, no words of commendation, no words of praise, for this church at all, but only words of rebuke and of warning, although it ends also with words of promise. Our Lord, you see, found something commendable in all the other churches, even in those in which he found other shortcomings or weaknesses that he had to point out to them and warn them about. But Christ had no good thing to say whatsoever about the church in Laodicea. And, you know, that makes us wonder, why, why was that? Why is that? Well, let's consider that. Why? By turning to our first main point this morning, which is the spiritual condition of this church. Then we're going to look, secondly, this morning, at Christ's prescription for their condition. And then we will end, thirdly, with Christ's urgent plea and his promise to this church. <clears throat> First of all, then, what was the spiritual condition of this church? Well, it was inflicted by a deadly disease, which was sapping away its strength and its life. And what disease was that? One word, one word says it, lukewarmness. Lukewarmness. Listen to what Christ writes in verses 15 and 16 of our text. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now you'll agree as you hear that, that those are pretty strong words from our Lord. But then this was a very serious spiritual disease. <clears throat> they were lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. I'm sure you all at some time or other have tasted something that was lukewarm, like maybe a lukewarm cup of coffee, or lukewarm pop, or lukewarm bottle of water. And I ask you, how did you like it? Need I ask that? Who likes a lukewarm cup of coffee, or a lukewarm bottle of pop? <clears throat> On a hot summer day, we want something cold, 
On a cold day, we want something hot. <clears throat> so you spit it out of your mouth, perhaps even, when you first tasted it. It's the same thing that Christ now applies here to the spiritual condition of the church in Laodicea. He says, you look warm. I will spit you out of my mouth. What a diagnosis. This was a church that had a, a lukewarm faith, a lukewarm devotion to Christ. They had no spiritual vitality in their souls. They had no passion in their spiritual life. They had no true fervent commitment to their Lord. They were content to do what had to be done and no more. They probably still professed to be Christians, but it was sort of a half-hearted profession. They probably certainly came to church, but merely out of habit or custom. They heard God's word, but it didn't really touch them, didn't affect them. They still sang songs, but with no fervor or spiritual devotion in them. They prayed, but their prayers were mere rote prayers while their minds were somewhere else. The latest scenes may well have lived decent lives and did not engage in all the immoral activities and grosser sins of the city, but their obedience to God was basically an external conformity. They were just lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. And so Jesus writes to them, would that you were either cold or hot, but you are neither. Now, you know, when, when I first read that, when you first listened to that, you, you, it's kind of puzzling in a way, isn't it, what he says here. We can understand that our Lord would say, I wish you were hot. I wish that you were burning with a holy zeal for me and had a fervent faith in me and a strong commitment to me. But he says, I would prefer you even to be cold than to be lukewarm. Now, obviously, Christ did not delight in a cold faith or in a cold commitment to him. But what he simply means by that expression is, I would rather have a church which is either wholeheartedly committed to me or one that is clearly against me than one that is sort of indifferent to me, lukewarm to me. Because what can you do with a person, what can you do with a church that is simply lukewarm towards Christ? It's hard to change a person who has that kind of an attitude or condition because he thinks he's fine. He's like the proverbial frog in the water as it is gradually heating up, boiling to death, and he doesn't realize it. If you read the Gospels, you probably know that our Savior reserved his harshest words of judgment for those who had a form of godliness but denied its power. Like the Pharisees, who displayed an external piety but really possessed no true heartfelt faith. He also spoke pretty strongly to those who were indecisive or uncommitted to him, you recall, who weren't ready to really follow Jesus all the way. To them he said, he who is not for me is against me. Christ wants a, a definite yes or no. But of course he wants the yes 
But he doesn't want a maybe. He wants all of our heart, not half of our heart. Would that you were either cold or hot, he writes to the Laodiceans, but because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, why is spiritual lukewarmness so bad? Why is it so dangerous that Christ wants absolutely no part of it? Well, he himself suggests two reasons in this letter to the church of Laodicea. One is indicated in verse 17, where Jesus writes, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Lukewarmness, you see, removes our sense of a need for God and for his grace. It means that we simply rely upon ourselves, whatever we may have, whatever we may do. The lukewarm person has the attitude, I'm satisfied with who I am and even boasts about who he is and what he has. But he doesn't need God, really. And the latest scene, church members had that attitude apparently too. They, they were materially well off. They, they said, I'm rich, I've prospered, I need nothing. The prosperity of that city had rubbed off on them. And so the latest scene, Christians have become complacent, saying, we don't need anything. We can just enjoy our life and go through the motions of our religious faith. And you see, that's devastating to true faith. When no longer we think we don't really need God. We don't need his grace. We don't need a greater measure of devotion to him. Everything is all right with us. The moment we sense or we lose our sense of need, we become lukewarm and spiritually lethargic. But the second reason their lukewarmness was so dangerous was because it had actually not only made them not realize their need of Christ, but they didn't realize how bad off they really were. They didn't realize what their spiritual condition really was and how serious it was. Listen to what Jesus adds here in verse 17, not realizing that you actually are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. They've been totally deceived. Lukewarmness tends to do that. It closes our eyes to what we really are like in the sight of God. In, in the sight of God by ourselves, we really are wretched and poor, and blind, and naked sinners who can be saved by His grace alone. The lukewarm church may think that its show of external piety makes God pleased with them. It makes them think, well, God says, I'm all right. But actually, Jesus says, no, you're not all right. You're in a very bad state. You're pitiable, you're poor, you're blind, you're naked. And so the message of Christ to us this morning, first of all, people of God, as we too are sitting here this morning, is, is do not be lukewarm. Do not think that you have made it spiritually and that you don't really need God. Don't be complacent in your Christian walk of life. Don't give him only a half-hearted commitment because Christ cannot tolerate lukewarmness. He can't stand it. It is totally repugnant to him. He says to the lukewarm church, I will spit you out of my mouth. <clears throat> but then our Lord doesn't stop here with these words of warning. He doesn't just offer a diagnosis here 
of a spiritual problem that he had found in the church of Laodicea. You know, if you go to a doctor and he simply gives you a diagnosis of your physical problem, but he offers you no remedy, nothing that can take care of your problem or help you deal with your difficulty, if he doesn't give you any advice as to what you can do, how much good does that do? I realize that doctors don't have all the answers, obviously, or the cure, certainly, for our, all of our ailments. And I'm sure they themselves recognize their own limitations. But we have a physician in heaven, a great physician, who does have an answer to all of our difficulties and diseases spiritually, who knows exactly what we need. And so uh, let's note, secondly, then, this morning, that Christ provides this church with a prescription for their spiritual condition, for their lukewarmness. What must they do about this? Listen to what our Lord writes in verse 18. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Now, if you listen carefully, this is really interesting. An interesting prescription that Christ offers here. There's there's sort of a divine irony in his words here. Because you remember what I mentioned in the introduction this morning. The city of Laodicea was first of all known as a banking and financial center. Its inhabitants were, were rich. They were prosperous. And the church also had experienced uh, and shared in that material wealth. And that's why Jesus had written them, you say I'm rich, I've prospered, and I need nothing. But now Jesus tells them, if you really want to be rich, because actually you're, you're very poor, but if you really want to be rich, buy from me gold refined by fire. What does Christ have in mind here by this gold refined by fire? Well, the daughter is referring, I think, to, to all all the spiritual blessings that he alone is able to provide, the blessings of salvation, of forgiveness of our sins, of everlasting life, of peace with God, of true joy that is eternal, of the Holy Spirit whom he has given to guide us, to lead us, to strengthen us throughout our life. Jesus Christ has the true gold, the true gold. But he says it's refined gold because indeed it is through the times and trials of, of, or the fires of, of, of affliction, of, of setbacks, of suffering, of difficulties, of deprivation, that, that these blessings become very rich to us. They become a rich treasure to the Christian. This is refined gold. And Christ says, you know, you can buy that from me. By which doesn't mean, obviously, that you and I really can earn it when we acquire it that we can buy salvation or eternal life. Actually, our Savior himself has already earned that gold for us. All these spiritual treasures by his life, by his death on the cross, what he simply means is you have to come to me. You have to come to me to acquire this gold. I alone can offer you the true riches. Come to my storehouse. And then further, how interesting Christ tells the Laodiceans uh, to come to him and to buy from him white clothes to cover themselves and hide their nakedness. 
Here was a city known, as you heard, for its clothing industry, especially its soft black wool from the sheep raised outside the city. But Jesus writes to them, if you really want to cover your nakedness, because in God's sight, you really are naked. Everything you do is open before God. He knows you exactly the way you are. You can hide nothing from him, not your shameful self even. All your sins are exposed to his view. But if you really want to acquire the nicest wool garments, come to me. And I can give you the white garments that you need to wear. You know what those white clothes are, what they represent? I'm convinced that they represent Christ's own perfect, spotless righteousness, which could cover us before God, so that even though we are indeed naked and sinful in ourselves, we are covered with the righteousness of Christ, so that when he looks at us as his children, he doesn't see our sins, but he sees the righteousness of Christ covering us. That's what we need to wear. This is our Savior. And then Jesus adds in his prescription for this church's lukewarmness, he says, and buy from me salve to anoint your eyes so you can see. Remember Laodicea? It was noted for its eye salve that could heal or at least preserve or help people with physical sight problems. And yet they were spiritually blind, he said. Jesus, I can offer you the salve that can truly make you see. And what is that eye salve that he provides? I believe that that's referring here, or could certainly be understood as true faith in him. True faith in him opens our eyes to see who he is and to see who we are and to see what our condition is and what we need from him to save us from eternal death and judgment. By faith we come to see who Christ is and what he has done for us, how he has paid for our sins by his blood, how he has delivered us from God's judgment and condemnation on the cross, giving us the assurance of everlasting life when he rose again from the dead. That's the faith we need in him, to go closer to him, to lean on him in all of our life experiences. By that faith, we indeed receive blessing. You see, that's the prescription that Christ offers here to, for that dangerous and that fatal condition of spiritual lukewarmness. We must come to him. He alone is able to save. He alone is able to give us the spirit to make us alive and to live a life devoted to him. You know, this is a disease, I think, that can easily afflict people of God's people today. And us too, as God's people in his church today, you know, we, we're living in a, in a wonderful country still, despite all of its failings. We'll see that tonight as well. But, you know, we, we still have it well. We still prosper. We all have it good in life, don't we? We can easily become lukewarm and start to rely upon all these earthly things to make our life meaningful, to trust in them, and then offer to God simply a formal worship each Lord's Day anew. But all our hearts have to be filled with a true and living faith and a true devotion to Him. Christ wants us to be indeed hot for Him, to buy His prescription, 
that he may heal us of any, any tendency towards lukewarmness that we have. And so let's notice thirdly and lastly this morning how, how Christ urges his people here and pleads with them to take that prescription so that they may then receive his rich promises. You know, you know how gracious and kind our Savior still was to this church in which he found nothing really to commend them for. But he was still gracious to them. He didn't turn his back on them. He still, he still loved this church. He writes in verse 19, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Let's always remind ourselves that when Christ has to reprove us, it's because he loves us. Just like when parents have to reprove or or even exercise discipline for their children, it's not because they hate their children. It's because they love their children, want the best for them. And so Christ, out of love for this church, issues this urgent plea to them. He says, so be zealous. Be zealous, he says, and repent. Let your lukewarmness be replaced by zeal for me. Zeal in loving me, honoring me, serving me, worshiping me, working for me each day in your homes, wherever it may be. Be zealous. Repent of your spiritual lukewarmness. Love me more than all these things that you have. That's the discipline that the Lord provides, the reproof he gives here that we must heed. And then he immediately adds a promise to this in verse 20. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Now that's a grand promise. He's standing at the door and he knocks and he says, If you open the door, I'll come in. I'll eat with you. I'll fellowship with you and you with me. What a gracious Savior. Because you see, you and I would... You and I of ourselves would never knock on the door of salvation, on the door of Christ, right? He's the one who's knocking. We would never knock. We would, of ourselves, we would not turn to Christ of ourselves. We have no capacity, no desire to knock on the door of Christ. But he will knock on the door, the door of our souls. He will knock. We must answer. We must respond, indeed. We must open the door. That's our duty. And then he will come in to eat with us, and we can enjoy his presence and his fellowship with us eternally. And so that's his urgent invitation and blessing and promise to us, those who come to him, I will eat with him and he with me. And then he adds something else yet, too. He adds frosting to the cake, you might say here. Verse 21 He says, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Christ promises the Christian or the church that conquers. He means those who overcome, who overcome in their battle against their own sin and against Satan, who stay wholeheartedly committed to him, who recognize they need him. He says, I will make you this promise. You will be a king. I will make you a king to sit next to me on my throne. Now I ask you, what earthly king would invite you or me to sit next to them on their throne? Nobody would do that, right? The king, that's the king's throne. He alone sits on that throne. But here, Jesus Christ says, 
that we will sit with him on his throne. Now, of course, not equally with him. Indeed not. He is the king. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. All earthly kings are but mortal beings compared to him. But he says, those who belong to me can sit with me on my throne. You know what that, what that means? I, I, I really can't wrap my head around that, my mind around that, actually. What that really all includes, that one day we will actually sit and rule with him. But what he means, I think, is that when that new creation dawns, when that new universe is made, where Jesus Christ is king over the whole universe and acknowledges as such by all, he will also use us to rule over this creation with him. We too will have dominion over the earth, whatever that will all involve, over the creatures that he will make, whatever. But we will exercise dominion as well. We will reign with him on his throne. He, the great king, we his servants under him. What an honor that will be. And that should be sufficient, shouldn't it? To take away all lukewarmness from our hearts. Indeed, as we think of these things, we realize what a blessing it is to be devoted to him. Heart and soul, fully consecrated. May our devotion and our faith in him be strong, fervent, and lasting. Those who have an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. Let's pray. Lord our God, we are grateful again to be reminded by your word and through our blessed Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ himself in this letter that he wrote to his church out of love for his church. They also wrote this to us this morning to remind us again too of that disease, that very serious deficiency of lukewarmness reminding us that we need to be fully consecrated to him in our hearts, in our lives, in our homes, in our churches, in our work, in all that we do. O Lord, grant to us a warm faith, a consecrated heart that burns with zeal for you. We recognize our own weaknesses and our own frailties. Hence, we are thankful again that you've given us your word here this morning. But we thank you all for that Savior who knocks on the doors of our hearts that we may open the door and have him come in, that he may eat with us and we with him, and even one day sit with him on his throne. Lord, thank you again for your word and its encouragement, its reproof, and also its promises. In Jesus' name, amen.